the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob Fratz Authority on AM 1420. The Answer. It is indeed the Bob France Authority. Good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining us as we get underway at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Wednesday, the 15th morning of the eighth month in the year of our Lord, 2018. Coming up on the program, Ryan Morrow is going to try to explain to us how and why a jihadist group in what can only be described as a training cult in New Mexico could be granted $20,000 bail and judged by a New Mexico judge to not be a threat to the community. That's right. That New Mexico jihadist compound made out of trash and tires in which about a dozen kids were found living in squalor. One child was dead because of a lack of medical care. Uh, and reports that the children were being trained on how to go to schools and shoot them up. It is an absolutely disturbing disgusting story and the fact that this judge has not seen to hold these individuals who are clearly going to be flight risks um is is beyond comprehension ryan morrow will be judge uh, joining us to discuss that in one half hour at about nine thirty-five. he's actually on a little bit early today uh it'll be worth our time believe me uh we also have another story by the way on that as we look for an understanding of what exactly what was going on in that jihadist cult, uh, this training center, this where these kids were living in such horrible, disgusting, uh, you know, squalor-like conditions. We do have another story about a reason, or at least a potential reason, why this judge decided what she did. Judge Sarah Backus said the state failed to meet the benchmark of proving that these people are dangerous to the public. We're not talking about the kids now at this point in time. Kids were between the ages 11 children, between the ages of 1 and 15. We're not talking about them. We're talking about the adults who were running this thing, the jihadists. 
that they were not threats to the community. The judge said they failed to meet that benchmark, and we may have a reason why. So we'll discuss that with Ryan, Ryan Morrow coming up at about 9.35. The other big guest story today, and I cannot confirm this one yet, we are working on this, is one that I was shocked and surprised to find uh, this, this is still a story. You remember Jack Phillips, do you not? Jack Phillips, of course, uh, is the owner of Masterpiece Cake Shops. Jack Phillips is the man who was harassed by the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, uh, Civil Rights Board, rather, and ordered to make cakes for ceremonies and events that violated his Christian uh, beliefs. Uh, We know that he won in the Supreme Court. And literally, almost immediately, uh, as the Supreme Court was making that decision, there was an attorney back in the Masterpiece Cake Shop demanding another specialty cake, knowing full well that Jack Phillips was not going to abide by that and be able to create that cake because it violates his religious beliefs. They're at him again. And now he is not waiting to be taken to court by the Colorado Civil Rights Board. He is taking them to court. So Masterpiece Cake Shop is back at it again, and we're going to be speaking, hopefully, with one of the attorneys representing Alliance Defending Freedom, representing Jack Phillips in that case. So we just are waiting. This story is literally late-breaking. I found it overnight, uh, and I've got some requests out this morning, and hopefully we will have something for you on that sooner rather than later. But, yes, the Masterpiece Cake Shop story is back again, so we're going to discuss that this morning. As for the ongoing news, I want to say this. Yesterday... It was a very, very unfortunate situation um, in which we found ourselves, again, discussing things that we shouldn't have to discuss with respect to the president and rhetoric and language and uh, insults and so on and so forth because it could have been a really, really positive day for the president with his supporters and his detractors united against Omarosa Manigault. But the president decided yesterday to tweet the line about her being... um, a uh, a low life dog, and naturally, this had it, it it dominated the news cycle yesterday, as you knew it would. Sarah Sanders at the White House press briefing was forced to answer uh, questions about low life dog and what does dog mean? Is dog another word for the N word? And oh, by the way, have you ever heard him use the N word? All of this continues. Can you stand at the podium and guarantee the American people they'll never hear? Donald Trump utter the N-word on a recording in any context? Uh, I can't guarantee uh, anything, but I can tell you that the president addressed this question directly. I can tell you that I've never heard it. Uh, I can also tell you that if myself or the people that are in this building serving this country every single day, doing our very best to help people uh, all across this country and make it better, if at any point we felt uh, that the president was who some of his as critics claim him to be, we certainly wouldn't be. Sorry about the cutoff audio there, but she said we certainly wouldn't be here. So um, yesterday there was a whole lot of work done to try to uh, you know overcome some of the president's uh, insult war with Omarosa Manigault, who does not deserve his attention, who does not deserve his um, you know his his back and forth insult uh, name calling game. Uh, she just doesn't do. She doesn't deserve it. The Trump campaign filed a lawsuit yesterday uh, against Omarosa Manigault for violation of her non-disclosure clause. 
they're going to sue her for millions of dollars. Let the lawyers handle it. Let your supporters handle it. Let even your detractors handle it. Nobody likes or trusts or believes Omarosa Manigault. She, by the way, is a serial accuser of people, of white people, uh, using the N-word. Were you aware of that part of this story? I discussed this on Larry Elder's show last night. Um, one of Another former Apprentice contestant by the name of Erica Vetrini was accused by Omarosa of using the N-word on that uh, reality game show. And this former contestant tweeted that a lie detector test that she took on the Howard Stern show way back in 2004 proved that Omarosa was a liar. This is back when the game show was going on and she was there. Omarosa was there. Omarosa refused to take a lie detector test herself as she accused Erica, who passed it, of um, using the N-word. She stormed off. Omarosa did. Omarosa stormed off a late-night talk show when she showed up to the talk show and found a lie detector machine waiting there for her. She refused to take a lie detector test. She accuses people of using the N-word a lot of times, essentially, uh, oftentimes, let's put it that way, um, without any cause or any basis in truth whatsoever. So, so all of these stories are going to be dug up on her. We're, we know who she is. We know that she's a liar. The president did not need to engage with the words lowlife and dog. But he did, and so therefore we had to do this work yesterday as well. Five other times proving that President Trump is not using the word dog as a racist term. Because last time I checked, Glenn Beck was not a black man. But yet Donald Trump tweeted about him in 2015 during the presidential campaign, quote, Glenn Beck got fired like a dog by Fox. The blaze is failing and he wanted to have me on his show. I said no because he's irrelevant. Last time I checked, Ted Cruz is not a black man. But President Trump tweeted in 2016, Ted Cruz lifts the Bible high into the air and then lies like a dog. Over and over again. Last time I checked, David Gregory was not a black man. But President Trump tweeted, March 29th of 2016, David Gregory was thrown off TV by NBC, fired like a dog. Last time I checked, Mitt Romney was not a black man, but President Trump in 2016 tweeted, Mitt Romney had a chance to beat a failed president, but he choked like a dog. The president has used the word dog to describe men and women that he doesn't like, that have failed, or that have been fired time and time again. Men and women, black and white. He used that term against Arianna Huffington, obviously a white woman as well. Never has President Trump used the phrase dog in any way to indicate black people or using it as a a pseudonym for the N-word or anything else. So when he said yesterday... Uh, on Twitter about um, uh, Omarosa Manigold when he called her a lowlife and a dog. Any attempt to paint that in a racial manner whatsoever is just flat-out, demonstrably, and provably false. His tweet was, when you give a crazed, crying lowlife a break and give her a job at the White House, I guess it just didn't work out. Good work by General Kelly for quickly firing that dog. He uses dog to discuss people who have been fired. And how many instances do we need? My point here is simple. 
Yes, a whole bunch of people, myself included, went on Larry Elder last night to defend the president, to point out the use of the word dog in so many other instances that did not have to do with a person of color. We went to the went to the mat for him. We defended him. We told the truth so that people wouldn't accuse him of being racist with this sort of thing. But we shouldn't have had to. That's the point. All of these conservative President Trump supporters who are out there digging up examples, proving the president wasn't being racist when he said dog, should have been able to make better use of our time yesterday than that. But it's what we had to do because we support the presidents of president of the United States. Uh, and no, Samantha Galt is not, repeat, is not getting the moral high ground here. It would be very, in fact, some people gave her the uh, victim status card yesterday because she was attacked by President Trump when literally 12 hours before that, she was the attacker and President Trump was the victim in these false, phony uh, racial allegations uh, advanced by her book. She was a lying self-promoter when she was on The Apprentice. She was a lying self-promoter when she volunteered for President Trump's campaign to expand her brand. And she is a lying self-promoter now that she has been fired from the Trump White House and is trying to sell a book and, yes, secure a gig as either a host or a paid contributor on CNN or on MSNBC. By the way, that will be successful. Counting down the hours until she is announced as a CNN or an MSNBC employee. So let's just get all of that on the table. Speaking of CNN, on the other side of this timeout, I only touched on it briefly yesterday. I only touched on Chris Cuomo and his televised call for physical assault on people that he doesn't like on CNN uh, live primetime television. That's exactly what he did. I touched on it briefly yesterday. I touched on it in much more depth last night on Larry Elder's show. I want to touch on it now for you right after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Mike Gallagher, coming up at 11 on AM 1420, The Answer. So let's, uh, yeah, Rocky music. I like it. I really do. Although uh, I'm troubled by this, uh, by, by what we heard. And, and I'm waiting, quite frankly, I tweeted this last night. I'm waiting for CNN to, to express an ounce, a, a scintilla of integrity, to issue an apology and to hand down a suspension to Chris Cuomo, one of their primetime anchors, if not an outright pulling of his show from the air, for what he said two nights ago on CNN primetime. Monday night, in response to the uh, Antifa massive turnout of masked and armed with rocks and bottles and fireworks and uh, uh, shards of glass, uh, thugs who were there to attack the white nationalist bigots who wanted to march and walk in Washington, D.C., who didn't attack anyone, who simply were availing themselves of their First Amendment rights and marching. Disgusting and despicable as it is to see them, they have the First Amendment right to be disgusting and despicable. Chris Cuomo declared on his 
television program that it's okay to attack these people. It's okay to beat them up. Because all punches, says liberal Chris Cuomo on fake news CNN, all punches are not equal. If you remember what Maxine Waters said earlier this summer when she instructed liberals, progressives, Trump haters to harass Trump officials and Trump supporters. You remember this, right? And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. People you don't like... It's okay for you to get out and create a crowd and physically intimidate and push back on them and harass them. That was Maxine Waters' message. Chris Cuomo's took it one step further. I argue to you tonight, all punches are not equal morally. In the eyes of the law, yes. But in the eyes of good and evil, here's the argument. If you're a punk who comes to start trouble in a mask and hurt people, you're not about any virtuous cause. You're just somebody who's going to be held to the standard of doing something wrong. But when someone comes to call out bigots and it gets hot, even physical, are they equally wrong as the bigot they are fighting? I argue no. He spent five minutes arguing no on live television. He spent five minutes saying that if you believe the other person to be a bigot, you punching them is morally acceptable. It didn't say defending yourself. He did not say if someone punches you, you can morally punch them back. No. He said we have to stamp out hate. He used the phrase good and evil. He is declaring Antifa good, white nationalists evil. He's declaring Antifa, which starts the violence. And the white nationalists who were marching quietly, well, they may have been chanting, I don't know, nobody paid attention to them. There were, what, 24 of them, two dozen of them. But they weren't attacking anyone. The white nationalists are bigots, yes. The white nationalists are hate-filled, yes. The white nationalists are racist, yes. The white nationalists are disgusting and reprehensible. Yes. But in the United States of America, you do not get beaten up for being bigoted, racist, disgusting individuals the way they are. Just for existing as such. You may get beaten up if you start attacks against other people, but that's not what they did. And it's not what Chris Cuomo is talking about. Chris Cuomo said, if there is hatred... Within your line of sight, meaning somebody that you deem to be a hate monger, somebody that you deem to be a bigot, somebody that you deem to be offensive to our sensibilities, it is okay to assault them. All punches are not created equal because we have to stamp out hate. Fighting against hate matters. Now, how you fight matters too. There's no question about that. But drawing a moral equivalency between those espousing hate and those fighting it because they both resort to violence emboldens hate, legitimizes hateful belief, and elevates what should be stamped out. It is a 
an ancillary point here that should be made. In Chris Cuomo's mind, Antifa is not a hate group. Antifa, which is backed by communist groups in the United States, Antifa, which covers their faces with masks to hide from the law what they are doing, which brought weapons to this uh, event in Charlottesville and in uh, Washington, D.C. on Sunday, with which to use to, or to, uh, to attack the white nationalists. They're not the hate group? Antifa, which couldn't attack the white nationalists because of the presence of the police, turned their anger and their violence on the police. But they're not a hate group? Chris Cuomo on CNN just told a hate group to continue to attack other people that they deem to be hate groups. And that's acceptable because there is no moral equivalency between them and the white nationalists. CNN has jumped the shark. CNN has lost all semblance of objectivity and journalistic integrity. And if they don't fire Chris Cuomo post-haste, what happens to them will be of their own doing. Ryan Morrow joins us next on AM 1420, The Answer. Mike Gallagher. Weekday mornings at 11 on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, it is 935. The Bob France Authority continues on AM 1420. The answer will return to the Chris Cuomo call for assault on people with whom you disagree in just a bit. But I want to go back now and focus once again on the New Mexico. I can only call it a jihadist training uh, uh, cult uh, because that's, that's really what it was. What we have learned between last week and this week, the last time we spoke with Ryan Morrow and today, uh, it's exponential uh, in its growth and in, in its development of the story. What is also incredibly shocking is the legal state now of the adults who were running that child training uh, killing center. And joining us now is Ryan Morrow. Ryan, of course, is the director of national intelligence at the Clarion Project, uh, national security analyst, clarionproject.org, and the Shulman Fellow for that organization as well. Ryan, good to have you back here. How are you, sir? Doing very well. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, this just like you said, the story just every single day just gets bigger and bigger. Well, when we spoke last week and you told us all about this, um, you know, we did not know about the fact that these children, 11 kids, um, just living in squalor, completely malnourished, under, un, uh, you know, not cared for, their medical needs not being met. We focused on the one child who died, uh, who was not cared for in that situation as well. We did not know at that time uh, what we know now, that these children were being trained to become school shooters, to go into various schools. I don't know if it was all going to be in New Mexico or, or dispersed around the country. Uh, but but to actually be school shooters, and we now know this is is indeed a jihadist compound. So tell us more about what we know, then we'll get into what the judge did, Ryan. Sure. Well, what we now know, um, and I'm not sure if we covered this last week about the school shooting plots, but basically the female leader appears to be the one that has taken uh, these relatives of Imam Siraj Wahaj in Brooklyn and convinced them uh, that she is in constant contact with Allah through the angel Gabriel. And according to some accounts, she also declared herself the Mahdi, the this Islamic end times figure. And the little boy, the three-year-old uh, disabled toddler who passed away from not having his medication and whom they thought was possessed, uh, she told the other members of this compound 
that he would uh, be resurrected if he died and would become Jesus. And as Jesus, he would tell them what targets to attack. It would range from banks, financial institutions, to law enforcement, to shooting teachers. So apparently the school shooting uh, plots that they were training for was specifically aimed at teachers. Um, and then so we get these crazy revelations, and the initial reaction you have is, well, I'm really glad that we missed this plot, um, and man, that's a lot of evidence. I mean, nobody would doubt it. Then they go to, before this judge, the prosecutors say confidently, uh, can we are requesting for them to be held until trial. We believe that there's a high chance that they pose a threat to the community, but they will try to flee and not show up for trial because if you're an Islamic extremist, why would you do that? Right. And stunningly, this judge, who I'm calling the worst judge in the country, says that they lack the evidence, and therefore four of the five adults would be put on house arrest with some restrictions because the prosecutors failed to show a direct threat to the community or to provide evidence that they would not show up for trial. Ryan, how did, and, I'm, and I've read your piece for Clarion Project about this and the judge's decision, uh, give us the shorter version of it. How has law enforcement reacted to this judge's decision? Basically, the contact that I got uh, before the story even broke, when I phone started blowing up with uh, text messages from people in New Mexico involved law enforcement who heard about this, was, uh, well... Uh, th- why we even bother, really? I mean, they said it took uh, knocked the wind out of them uh, because they had avoided just really a massacre at that place. And so it, as frightening as, as this was, there was kind of a sigh of relief, and they felt good about what they had done. And then the judge is, says four of the five can basically go on a signature bond, which means that they wouldn't even have to post, <coughs> excuse me, post money in order to go out and just be trusted with an ankle I thought, I'm, I'm sorry, hold on. I thought it was a $20,000 bond, which is still extraordinarily light given the gravity of the charges here, but you, they didn't even have to post the twenty grand. No, it's a signature bond. So what that means is that if they don't show up for trial, in addition to being arrested, there's a $20,000 price to pay. Okay. If they catch you. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, Ryan, I mean, th- this is this is staggering. We're, we're again, we're talking to Ryan Morrow, chairman of the Clarion Intelligence Network. Uh, uh, read his work at ClarionProject.org. Um, tell me about some of this evidence because what she said was this judge said was that the prosecution had not satisfied her that these individuals posed a threat to uh, to to the community or that they were potentially a flight risk. I, I mean, it goes without saying that they're flight risks. Um, but uh, what you, you, you listed in your piece some of the evidence that the prosecution did present to the judge saying, hey, you've got to hold these people here. We can't let them get away. Tell us about some of that. It included a letter from one of the males to his brother saying, hey, look, you've wanted to die as a martyr this whole time. Here's your opportunity. Come bring your guns bring your money. The training and indoctrination of the children to specifically carry out these types of attacks. Uh, so they were... Uh, basically openly within that compound saying they're going to carry out attacks. There's no doubt about it. Uh, there was a training manual there on how to create an, uh, an AR-style weapon uh, that's not traceable. Uh, they were hiding with a fugitive, which is really important to point out, because the judge was saying, well, there's no evidence that they'll skip out on a trial. Well, the guy's a fugitive. So uh, I, I would say that's pretty strong evidence. Um, and, and so you put all that together, and her argument was is that it was all aspirational. That's not enough to just 
say you're preparing for a, a, an attack, that the prosecutors failed to lay out what that plan for an attack was, that it wasn't specific enough. And she appeared to be persuaded by the defense that said if they were white Christians, uh, they would not be in that place. And she uh, said in the document that I read. Yeah, of course. I, and I read the document that I haven't seen published anywhere where she defended her decision. And it's even more outrageous. She says that the prosecutors uh, were trying to enter faith improperly into the proceeding uh, and, and and basically said they were being Islamophobic and having an anti-Muslim bias. And so that crazy defense uh, that was used by their attorney actually worked on her. Well, it not only worked on her originally, it worked on the FBI, did it not? What, because remember, it wasn't the FBI who actually um, uh, went ahead and and uh and went into this complex and and found these children uh they 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 were they, the FBI was afraid to do it it took the sheriff's department down there in New Mexico in that particular uh location to to actually find this out the FBI was afraid were they not Ryan and correct me if i'm wrong um of of invading or uh or whatever you want to call it or you know arresting these people uh because of you know they didn't want to be accused of being islamophobic I'm sure that was in their mind. We don't have enough evidence for me to make that accusation, but it's fair to assume so, that because it's people in the FBI, I know a lot of them, they, that's always on their mind. If we do something, well, it result in lawsuits, a pressure campaign thing that we had an anti-Muslim bias. What the FBI was saying was that they didn't have the probable cause to go into the compound, and then finally the local police went in on their own in an extraordinarily dangerous mission uh, because they received that message that said that the kids were starving and desperately needed food and water, so they went under the basis of child endangerment as opposed to some of these other charges. Um, and that's also why they which couldn't is, confiscate a lot of the weapons at first, which is which is another crazy microcosm of how difficult it is to be a member of law enforcement. No question about that. Let's go back to the part that you mentioned uh, where the defense used this, hey, you know, the Islamophobia uh, issue here, and, and saying if they were white and Christian, they would not have done this. Um, is are they aware at all of what happened with the Branch Davidians? I mean, is it just lost upon this judge and, and anyone else, this argument that white Christians wouldn't be treated this way because uh, David Koresh and his followers were in that compound in Waco, as we know, and yes, it was heavily armed, but no, they were not expressing any outward threats to anybody. Um, and the federal government, of course, went in there and uh, led to that great confrontation that led to so many deaths. Those were white Christians last I checked. I think that argument should not necessarily uh, uh, hold water. Of course, but you're thinking logically. She clearly had the impulse that just a lot of people have, a lot of social justice warriors have, where they just hear a defense like this, and they want to bend over backwards to stick up for those that are being discriminated against in their mind. Uh, that they demand an unreasonable standard of evidence that can almost never be reached. And they don't even realize that that's their psychological process, but it's clear to everyone outside of their own brain that that's what's happening. Um, and, and she was specifically reacting to the fact they entered into their case. The fact that uh, Siraj Ibn Wahaj, one of the men, had taken this strange trip to Saudi Arabia in 2017, um, well, it was for pilgrimage, so I guess it's not strange, but then came back much more militant. That's when he said, I'm divorcing my wife, and I'm going off and doing this sort of thing. And they were trying to show that there was a radicalization process that obviously happened, and she was saying that's irrelevant, that if that was uh, the case with Christians, and she didn't spell it out, but she implied it, if this was a Christian-related trip or a Jewish-related trip, you wouldn't be mentioning this trip to Saudi Arabia. So she didn't understand what they were getting at. She doesn't understand the issue. And I understand it's complex. 
but then you've got to have a judge that understands this type of issue. Like you, you, she's not an expert, and she's pretending to be an expert. Well, the, the other the other part of the story, we're talking with Ryan Morrow, who is uh, again the chairman of the uh, Clarion uh, National Intelligence. Um, the other part of the story, as I understand it, is she has a bit of a history of being extraordinarily soft on criminals and extraordinarily soft on when it comes to to setting bail for for people. She's um, uh, she she's just basically a liberal judge who always seems to side with uh, the defense against the government. I don't want to say sides in terms of her rulings on cases, but in terms of the way she sets these things, she has a history. So whether it's about uh, you know not being familiar with or experienced with or knowledgeable in uh, you know jihad or these terror groups or the kinds of of things that they do, the kinds of practices they engage in or not. She just is the wrong judge to have heard this or, you know, to uh, to have had this case come into her courtroom. That, that's exactly right. And there are some people who just have that, uh, that sentiment in their mind that the law enforcement and criminal justice system is so brutal towards uh, minorities and people in general uh, that you should set the, the bond as uh, low as possible. Why? Because they're probably innocent. They're probably being mistreated. And if you come from that mindset, then these are the type of behaviors that you're going to do. And you're going to look at this family that came from the cultish compound, and you're going to react in the way that she did. Although I think even the most indoctrinated social justice warrior would say that this is crazy. Uh, So I'm calling for a resignation. Uh, You can't really force her out. There was a threat against her, which is very unfortunate, because now she resigns. That then vindicates people that issue those types of threats. And then the breaking news last night uh, that I reported before it was released uh, is that the female leader of the compound has been apprehended on immigration violations. She's from Haiti, and it sounds like she overstayed her visa. So this is going to become uh, an even bigger issue now. No question about it. Ryan, before you go, let me hit you with the, or, or get you information from you on the kids. Uh, I don't know exactly what all of their ages are, but where are they going from here? Um, I'm assuming... They're the victims in this as much as anybody else is. They're not part of this if they're of a certain age. Um, wh- what happens to them now? They're in the hands in the hands of foster parents right now. I can't imagine that they would be given. Well, but before this judge's ruling, I couldn't imagine they'd be given back to those parents. Um, that all visits for forever would have to be supervised. But now, who knows? Uh, but according to the judge's ruling. They uh, all visits have to be supervised as part of the house arrest conditions. But could they end up back with the parents? Uh, now I would say anything's possible. Wow, wow, that just can't be. That I mean, the fact that they were not having their needs met. Just I mean, they were malnourished for crying out loud. Forget about the you know the psychological damage and they're training them to be killers uh, to shoot up schools and so on and so forth. Just they weren't they weren't feeding and clothing them and living you know keeping them in 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 proper suitable housing for crying out loud. It was a shack made out of garbage, as advanced as a garbage shack can be. Uh, that's exactly what, if they what it was. Reform, right? I mean, you come across the right judge eventually. You know, years down the line. If they go and say, oh, I'm sorry, and, you know, I've changed my ways, is it possible that they are radical but not cult members and they become the parents of those children again? After the judge's ruling, uh. you know, I would say I, I don't put anything past the justice system anymore. No, I wouldn't either. It just blows my mind, and it's my hope that these kids can be you know, for lack of a better word, because I, I can we call this a jihadist cult or not? I don't know, but but deprogrammed yeah. and and you know you know de jihadized. I'm making up words here, but uh, but you know they they, they literally it, that that hopefully they can be placed with somebody and given opportunity to grow up in a normal uh, you know in the United States if they are if they're legally allowed to stay here in a in a normal environment. 
right? And, and it's, it's they're going to be suffering from this for the rest of their lives. I mean, I know people have come out of jihadist cults. It's, it's a very difficult thing to come out of, and some people do. But uh, odds are, at that age, with that level of uh, mistreatment and the publicity around it, it's going to be very difficult. Um, and honestly, the best thing to happen for them uh, would be to not have contact with the parents, not with the broader community at all, um, because that's extremist in nature, and that puts them on the conveyor belt to this type of stuff. Yeah. And the, and I'm not saying the government should do this, but ideally they, they'll leave Islam, because if they're in the Islamic community at all, it's just confusing for a young kid to go from to distinguish between cult, extremist, reformer. It, it's too much. They just they just have to be separated entirely for the, for I think a de-radicalization program to work. Ryan Morrow, Director of National Intelligence for the Clarion Project. Uh, Ryan, really appreciate the information. I know you've got a very busy morning today. Keep up the great work. You're right. You have been way out in front of this before stuff has even been released. Uh, that's why I follow you on uh, online. Make sure you do as well. It's Ryan Morrow, M-A-U-R-O. Follow him and read his work at clarionproject.org if you really want to know what's going on. Ryan, thanks so much, sir. Thank you. You got it. All right, it's 9.50. We'll take our time out here. We are going to a uh, little program note for you. As I said at the top of the show, we were hoping to be able to reach an attorney, and we were successful. Coming up at the top of the uh, hour at about 10.10, Jeremy Tedesco of the Alliance Defending Freedom will be joining us to discuss the latest assault on religious liberty and Jack Phillips, the owner of Masterpiece Cake Shop, in uh, Colorado, it's uh, Masterpiece Cake Shop Part 2. Apparently, the Supreme Court victory was not a message enough for those who are continuing to harass them, uh, uh, The uh, Jack and his uh, team there at uh, Masterpiece. So uh, we're going to talk with the Alliance Defending Freedom, who helped them win at the, at the Supreme Court. Uh, Jeremy Tedesco will be joining us at about 10.10. So stay here on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 956 now. The Bob France Authority continues. AM 1420, The Answer. Short segment here before the top of the hour. Then we're going to talk a little bit more about Masterpiece Cake Shops and Jack Phillips again being uh, assaulted, his religious liberties anyway. Not the uh, not the Chris Cuomo type of assault. We'll come back to that a little bit later. I, I want to hit this just real quick, if I can, because to listen to the story being told by the mainstream media and by the left and by Trump haters everywhere, Donald Trump can't stand black people. And black people can't stand Donald Trump. That's that's the message, right? That's the narrative. I think that's fair to say. This is this is what they're trying to do. Why do you think they're trying to manufacture a tape of the president at some point using the N-word? Why do you think they're trying to to paint the president as being this blatant racist who when he calls Omarosa Manigault a dog, it means the N-word? Why do you think the press is is asking Sarah Sanders, have you, you? Can you guarantee there's no tape of him using the N word? Stand at the podium and guarantee the American people they'll never hear Donald Trump utter the N word on a recording in any context. Uh, I can't guarantee uh, anything, but I can tell you that the president addressed this question directly. I can tell you that I've never heard it. And by the way, you know the best answer there for Sarah Sanders would be. Can, you're asking me if I can guarantee the American public will never hear something uh, in any context from President Trump using the N-word? It, her, her direct response should have been, I haven't lived every second of Donald Trump's life next to him. Of course I can't guarantee that. 
I haven't spent every waking minute next to him so that I can't tell you whether or not I've heard him or he has ever said something. He's never said it in my presence. And can, can I tell you what he did in 1990 or what he said in 1982? That might be a, No, of course I can't. What a stupid question. But they're trying so hard to create the, the narrative that Donald Trump may have used the N-word. And Donald Trump's using the, the word dog to describe Omarosa Manigault is certainly a racial word. The fact that he called LeBron James and Don Lemon dumb clearly means that he, uh, you know, that he's a racist. Why do you think they're doing all of this right now? Do you want to know why? Because black Americans are walking away from the Democratic plantation that they have been tied to mentally by the Democrats for so long. Need proof? Here's proof. Donald Trump now is enjoying a 31% approval rating with black Americans. That is 13 points higher than one year ago. The mainstream media wants to paint President Trump as a racist every time he criticizes somebody who happens to be a person of color because they know that the left is losing people of color to President Trump and to the Republicans. The president's approval is up 13 points with black Americans. It's a historic number. That's Rasmussen. In the last 10 presidential election cycles, the highest black vote share for a Republican was 12%. That was achieved by Bob Dole in 1996. President Trump has a 31% approval rating among blacks. If he gets half of that in terms of votes for Democrats and for himself in 2020, or for Republicans, rather, and for himself in 2020, if he gets half of that, if he gets, you know, what's half of 31? 15, if he gets 15 to 16% of the black vote, it is over for the, for the Democrats. They will not recover from that for decades. President Trump would win 2020 in a landslide. If he pushed up upwards of 15 16% of the black vote, it would be amazing, and it's happening. Look at the approval ratings. Why? Because, as I've said many times on this program, black America is smart America. These people are not dumb. All they need to do is have the truth presented to them, and they recognize and realize, holy crap, we've been being misled all this time by the Democrats. They don't have our best interest at heart. Look at what Donald Trump has done. Under Bill Clinton, record black imprisonment. Under Barack Obama, record black welfare and food stamps. Under Donald Trump, record black employment. Black America knows better. They're walking away from the Democrats. And they know full well Donald Trump is the very best thing that they have had in terms of leadership for their needs in their communities in recent history. Keep trying, media. Keep trying, Democrats. Keep trying, American left. But you're not going to fool black America any longer. They are, they are wise to you. Time for news on AM 1420, The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.